Hello, welcome to Workplace Wake Up. I'm Jen Shaw. Every week, I spend about 15 minutes covering legal developments, introducing you to interesting guests, and providing some entertainment to start your workday. I am so honored today to have a very special guest, Amy Barnard Bond. She is a really good friend of ours. She is a lawyer and an executive coach and an author and a speaker and a collaborator, just an all-around good person. And we are so happy to have her here with us today. Amy, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Happy New Year. It's just such a pleasure to, to have you on. So our topic today, Amy, is how to deliver bad news. And obviously, none of us relish delivering bad news, but you have become an expert in this area in terms of coaching executives and leaders on how to deliver bad news. So, Amy, I guess where we should start is what kind of bad news do people have to deliver at work? Well, the number one right now with the macroeconomic climate, I would say, is layoffs, right, Jen? It's letting people go. And so that's number one, I'd say close in line for CEOs and executives is reporting poor financial results or reporting disappointments to the board of directors or shareholders. Those are big ones. Yep. And then next in line would probably be reshuffling, changing jobs that people may or may not want, People asking people to take on more responsibility and maybe without extra pay because of shrinking markets. Performance reviews are probably next in line in terms of being difficult. Sometimes difficult messages need to be shared. And then I would also add ethical concerns. You know, unfortunately, when we see a bad economic climate and we've had a lot of struggles over the past few years with COVID and shutdowns and supply chain, we also see a lot of fraud. And so there is often a lot of ethics issues that arise. People cut corners when they're desperate with business and When the tide goes out, you kind of see who's been swimming naked. So we see a lot of that happening now in terms of investigations, um, DOJ prosecutions, other things. It's so interesting, Amy, when you talk about all of those areas, because, of course, you know, we're getting a lot of calls from clients who are either laying people off, restructuring, reorganizing, like you said, giving people different job duties, different responsibilities. And it's so funny to me to think and not funny haha but it's just ironic that this is going on at the same time that we're talking about quietly quitting right Right. where where people are actually not doing um anything extra and i found myself giving advice to someone yesterday who's a friend who has sort of a rotten situation at work and she was like well do i quit and and then find a job or do i keep working i'm like well you need money so quietly quit right like (laughs) Yeah, And the thing is, whether we're talking about shareholders or you're moving somebody's cheese and none of us do well with that usually, it's it's tough. And I think the number one thing that you talk about that is so important is preparation, right? People should not go into these conversations cold. Right, right. We, we have to get better at this, giving and receiving bad news. And there's an art and a skill to doing this well. When you're coaching executives... Amy, how do you help them realize that time spent preparing is going to more than pay off down the road, right? You know, because I I think what happens is when we're having these tough conversations, whether it's a performance review or we're we're having to tell someone they're losing their job, we want to get it over with, right? We don't want to 
we're already busy. And so we feel like, okay, let's just squeeze that into the seven minutes I have between my call with Tom and my call with Laura, and let's just get this done. And of course, that's the wrong approach, right? Why? Right. It is because bad events impact us five times more than good ones, because we're not programmed to want to hear bad news. And and further studies on this have shown that bad news messengers are not only deemed unlikable, so leaders should be listening to this, and less competent, but some malevolence is ascribed to bad news messengers. Because as people, we're meaning makers. And so we unfairly kind of transfer ill intent on the person delivering it to the point that we may actually believe the messenger wanted it to happen. So choosing a role like a leadership role or a legal role or an HR role, um, which often conveys boundaries or tough news, adds to this sense on the recipient that they're to blame, that we, we chose our profession, we chose our fate. So if we want to still be viewed, I think, as an ethical leader that makes good decisions, that's empathetic, that cares, this preparation is a key mitigating factor in the proclivity for people to, to ascribe ill intent and negativity to you as the messenger. It's all in, in the preparation. Well, and, and that's a good point too, Amy, because how we prepare is important, right? Just giving more information isn't necessarily the way to go. One of the things that I worry about as an employment lawyer is when somebody's sitting down, if they're going to apologize, oh, Amy, I'm so sorry. We wish we didn't have to do that. It's the board. They're making this. Or it's the executive director. She didn't give me any choice. Everything that is said during a tough conversation, like you said, is going to have so much more impact and people are going to remember it. And sometimes they don't remember it accurately. They Mm -hmm. think, but they're going to hang their hat on whatever they can once they leave and feel like maybe they haven't been treated fairly or maybe something's been done that that doesn't feel like it's consistent with what they were expecting or what they were told was going to happen. That's when these conversations get replayed. And I always tell people, just assume you're being tape recorded because you probably are. I mean, it's so easy to tape record on the iPhone or the, um, you know, whatever device you're using that you may as well assume that what you say is going to be recorded whether in writing and somebody's notes or literally, and you're going to have to answer to that. So even though we want you to be prepared, it's really important when you read Amy's work to know that she's very careful about what needs to be said and how. And I think, Amy, that's where your executive coaching comes into play, right? Because you can do role plays. You can help them pick out what their bullet points are and what they want to focus on. We do. We, we script it out, whether it's a board presentation or asking for money or headcount or if, if it's in the case, you know, like a build or if it's in the case of bad news, you know, how are we going to frame it? What's the exact word? You know, how, what takeaways and kind of mental models do we want the recipient to have on that? And I interviewed dozens of people, clients and other people to understand their bad news stories where it was done well and it was done poorly. And I codified this into a six step approach for people to use when they need to deliver bad news. And it can be modified depending on your situation. Okay. And what are those six steps? So the six steps are number one is the most important one. So we've been talking about is psychologically prepare your audience. So you heard what I said earlier about how bad news impacts us five times more than, than other events. So we need a pause for our brains to still be able to absorb the, the bad news. So one 
way I like to do that. If it's in a meeting and you don't have, say, if it's layoffs, you have time, hopefully, to kind of lay the groundwork in messaging and corporate communications to where it, it may not be a surprise. But if you're literally just meeting with someone or a board, I like to start with, I wish I had better news. And then pausing and letting people that soak in and that, cause that prepare, gives people a breath to think, okay, something's coming. And it shows respect for the audience because, and, and it's mind body as well. It gives them a second to prepare. The second step is to rehearse confident delivery. Now this is great, not only because it reduces the stress of the person who has to message it. If you practice and you get your talking points down and you record yourself and look at your body language and listen to your tone to make sure to conveys appropriate intent and the gravity of whatever the situation is or the appropriate urgency, if it's something that you were involved with and it's a mistake you have to share, those kinds of things, or, or if it's, it's sad or disappointing, you want to connect with your audience that way and not come off, I think, as cold or uncaring. So rehearsing confident delivery allows you to do all of that. The third is to be present and fully focused. It's tempting to want to escape our mind and body <laughs> when we're delivering bad news. We don't really want to be there, right? So some people literally aren't there and you can tell. So you want to really be present and listening and aware of your audience and reading them so that you know, again, that empathy. Number four, you want to convey benevolent, proactive intent. For example, if you have a mass layoff, probably there are good economic reasons for doing that. I would expect you're trying to save the company. You're trying to keep it strong for other uh, people who are already there. I've had to do mass layoffs and the messaging was really hard. And basically the message is so that the company can be sustainable in the long run, we need to make the hard decisions now, right? So for the greater good basically is the overall message. So that would be a way of conveying benevolent, proactive intent. Mm -hmm. The fifth step is explain without justifying. The worst thing, as you know, Jen, is to blather on and on, yes. you know, and to get emotional about it um, in the wrong way, to overly emotional and apologetic or um, just, you know, kind of messy. And so you want to you want to explain without making excuses. Look, if you made this decision, you need to stick by it. Right. And the tough thing is sometimes you're handed the decision. You have to deliver it. I understand that's tough, too. So you have to find a way to feel authentic in the decision, even if it wasn't yours. Um, but you don't want to make excuses because then people get really irritated at you for making the excuses and they actually jump onto that as opposed to the actual thing that's going on. Right. So the sixth step is to add a sense of urgency. This can be important when it's more relevant when it's board news or overall financial numbers or, or that kind of thing, as opposed to say a termination or a mass layoff. And this is when you need to fix something. So if I'm reporting to a board and saying, hey, we didn't make our number, this is why we had this um, fall through with a supplier, and this is what we're doing about it. We are making sure this doesn't happen again. We've got backup suppliers. That's the sense of urgency. Those are so helpful, Amy, because as you were going through them, I was thinking about situations I've dealt with in litigation or advice where they've just not gotten any of them right, right? Or they've missed a few and it's never on purpose. It's never- No, never, no. Trying no. to do something that is gonna create a problem. But I think there's so much anxiety often that goes with these difficult conversations. So Amy, the other work that you do that I think is so interesting is your promotability index. And we're gonna 
um, have a little contest here that the first person who emails me after you listen to this podcast is going to get a free copy of Amy's book on the Promotability Index. It is a great book. I have it. She's a wonderful author. Amy, tell us a little bit about the Promotability Index, would you? Sure. Well, it's an assessment, an 82-question assessment that's free on my website. And then it, it, it breaks promotions down into five key elements. Having been a CHRO and an employment council, I wanted to reverse engineer promotions to help level the playing field and give people access to what otherwise sometimes seems like a black box of, gosh, how do they make these decisions? And it's actually not a big mystery to me, having sat on so many uh, councils, committees, and boards. It's, it's around self-awareness, external awareness, strategic thinking, executive presence, and thought leadership. So those are the five elements that over time, all the way to the boardroom, really get you ahead. And so these 82 questions help you figure out how am I doing? Then I was asked to write a guidebook to help have exercises around areas people wanted to work on. So the guidebook is a, is a way to either use with your team or with yourself individually on 30 exercises that you can pick and choose from, kind of create your own adventure depending on the areas you want to work on. I love the promotability index because I think what a lot of employers forget about right now is it is so hard to recruit. And I guess no one's forgetting about it. They're just not sure what to do about it. So, <laughs> so it's hard to recruit and, you, and you've got to work with what you have internally. So none of us are perfect, right? So yep. you're, you're going to have situations where you might think, well, maybe there'd be somebody better for this job. But if you've got somebody in front of you who you can coach and mentor to make them promotable, that is a fantastic investment. Now, it is an investment. You do have to take the time and energy necessary to get them where they need to be. And I think that's where the 82 questions and the exercises in the book are so useful to, to try to help folks who want to grow a team, who want to help someone promote they can understand, all right, what should I be doing as a leader to get this person in the right place? Because I think a lot of times we think a genie is just going to present us with the best. And <laughs> yeah. it's sort of like a garden you don't water, right? If you don't water it and you don't give it fertilizer, it's not going to grow. Like, that's just how it is. It's really powerful when teams take it together, too. I've had, I have a case study on my website and I've had whole departments adopt it. And then it creates this kind of radical self-reliance and excitement around what I like about it too, Jen, is that people can choose what they want to work. And ideally it's with a conversation with the boss, but it's nice. Isn't it nice to know what your employees want to improve on? And then if, if it's an area that, that isn't relevant to their job, well, that's, that brings up different discussions, but you really get to know your employees. Well, you can coach them on what you think is best for them to work on at a given time. And it's more of a discussion. It makes it more of a dialogue and they feel like they have choice, which I think is really critical as well for motivation. Amy, that is so true. You are such a wealth of information. I want to thank you so much for your time today. I know we only got to scratch the surface of what you're doing. So I hope you will all go to Amy's website. Again, we are so grateful for you being here today, Amy. All of you, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to spread the word, please share it with others, post about it on social media, and or rate and review it. Of course, you can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and email us at info at shalagroup.com. 
Workplace Wake Up, including its guests and hosts, do not provide legal advice in this podcast. Do not act upon any of the information discussed in this podcast without consulting a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction.